BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It's time for Justice Matters with former federal prosecutor and MSNBC analyst, Glenn Kirshner. One of the two gag orders that was imposed on Donald Trump is now on a brief pause pending appeal. So what will happen next? Here's Gwen. So friends, recently I've been seeing the question pop up, what happened to the Trump gag order in his federal case in Washington, D.C.? The gag order that was imposed by Judge Tanya Chutkin, the gag order that is designed to stop Donald Trump from talking about or posting about, thereby endangering the witnesses against him, the court staff, Jack Smith and his team. Well, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit issued an administrative stay, a temporary pause. The appellate court has set an oral argument for November 20th. I'll be in court that day. I'll attend the argument And I'll do a Justice Matters video that evening talking about how the argument sort of played out and whether the appellate court judges sort of showed their hand at all, as demonstrated by the questions they had for the parties. But ever since this story broke about a week ago, I've been wanting to do a Justice Matters video on one particular aspect of the gag order, the appeal, the administrative stay, and the three appellate court judges who will preside over this appeal. So friends, let's start with the reporting regarding the appeal of the gag order. This from Josh Gerstein and Kyle Cheney of Politico. Headline, Appeals Court Temporarily Lifts Trump Gag Order in D.C. Case. And that article begins, A federal appeals court on Friday lifted a gag order reigning in Donald Trump's comments about the criminal election subversion case pending against him in Washington. At the former president's request, a three-judge panel of the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals temporarily lifted U.S. District Court Judge Tanya Chutkin's order prohibiting Trump from using his public statements to target the special counsel, Jack Smith and his team, court officials, and potential witnesses in the case. The appeals court's action makes it likely that the gag order, which Trump contends violates his First Amendment rights and those of his supporters, will be sidelined for more than two weeks and perhaps longer. Now, friends, I first learned about this legal development, that the appellate court would be taking up the gag order on appeal and put a temporary stay in place. I first learned about that via a tweet. It's kind of how we learn so much of our breaking news these days. It was a tweet by Anna Bauer, who is a legal journalist and a correspondent for the online site Lawfare. And here is what Anna Bauer tweeted. Justin, Trump's DC gag order temporarily stayed by DC Circuit Court of Appeals. The panel 
meaning the three-judge panel who will sit and hear the appeal. The panel includes Judge Millett, Perens Obama, Judge Pollard, Perens Obama, and Judge Garcia, Perens Biden. And the tweet contained a picture of a portion of the appellate court's order. You can see it there. Upon consideration of the emergency motion for a stay pending appeal, which includes requests for an administrative stay and to expedite the appeal, it is hereby ordered that the district court's October 17, 2023 order, the gag order, be administratively stayed pending further order of the court. And the appellate court goes on to set oral argument for 9.30 a.m. on November 20th, 2023. Now friends, frankly, I was glad that the tweet included information about which president appointed each of these three judges, these three judges who would now be presiding over a legal case involving Donald Trump. But it's pretty disheartening that this is where we now find ourselves. Each time a new federal judge enters the picture because that person will be involved in some aspect of Trump-related litigation, we instantly ask ourselves, who appointed that judge? You know, I can tell you, friends, it never used to be that way. I understand why it is now, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But if you'll indulge me, I want to share my personal experience as a former career prosecutor appearing before lots and lots of presidentially appointed judges. You know, you may know that across the United States of America, in each of the criminal jurisdictions, each of the 50 states, judges end up being judges in different ways. Some are elected, some are appointed by the governor of the state. But in Washington, D.C., because D.C. is not a state, that's something we should work to change. But because it's not a state, there is no governor to appoint the judge and the judges aren't elected. You know how you become a judge in Washington, D.C., not just in federal court, as is true nationwide. In federal court, all judges are appointed by the President of the United States, whether you're a federal trial court judge, a federal appellate court judge, or a Supreme Court justice. But in D.C., in the local criminal court, the local court in D.C., it is the Superior Court of the District of Columbia. It's the local city court, just like Manhattan has a local city court in Brooklyn and Philadelphia, Chicago, Detroit, D.C. Superior Court is no different with one exception. The judges, the 61 judges who presently sit on the bench in the D.C. Superior Court are presidentially appointed because there is no governor and they're not elected. So over the course of my decades as a federal prosecutor practicing in the courts of Washington, D.C., you know, I, I am sure I appeared before well over 50 judges and that includes federal trial court judges in D.C., appellate court judges in the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, all of the dozens and dozens, 61 at this moment, judges who sit on the Superior Court of the District of Columbia. 
And even though I appeared before so many presidentially appointed judges for my entire career, you know what I never did? Not once. When I received a new assignment, a new case, and I saw the name of the judge who would preside over the case, or when I walked into court for the first time and I met face-to-face a presidentially appointed judge that I never met before, that I never had a case before, you know what I never once asked myself? Which president appointed this judge? It just was not even in my my consciousness to ask that question. I didn't care and it didn't matter. In practice, it never seemed to matter until the age of Donald Trump. What I want to do, friends, is just for a few minutes, talk about the difference. The difference between the Obama administration and the way they appointed federal judges, nominated federal judges, and the Trump administration and the way Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump selected federal judges. So friends, you may know that the ABA, the American Bar Association, is in the practice of rating judges. When a judge is nominated to a position on the federal bench, lifetime tenure, if you are confirmed as a federal judge, you get lifetime tenure. Talk about a plum assignment. Talk about a sweetheart job. Lifetime tenure when you're appointed as a federal judge. And when a president appoints or makes it known that he will appoint or nominate a particular person to serve on the federal bench to enjoy that lifetime appointment, the American Bar Association will rate that judge. And there are only three ratings under the ABA's system. Well-qualified, qualified, or not qualified. Now friends, first of all, the Trump administration virtually cut out the American Bar Association. They weren't interested in hearing about you know, whether their judicial nominees were qualified or not. Trump and Mitch McConnell paid little or no attention to the ABA. But the ABA went ahead and raided every judge, every federal judge that Trump nominated anyway. And guess what? You probably already know where I'm going with this, friends. Some of the Trump nominated judges were rated as not qualified, not qualified to be federal judges, certainly not qualified to enjoy life tenure as a federal court judge. These people would be presiding over civil cases, over criminal cases, in a very real sense, presiding over the lives of others. And many of them were rated not qualified. And Donald Trump and Mitch McConnell didn't care. Trump nominated them anyway, and Mitch McConnell crammed them down America's throat, virtually on party line votes each and every time. And now there are several not qualified judges sitting on the federal bench. Let's look at how the Obama administration nominated judges. When President Obama was considering nominating a certain person to the federal bench, he would ask the American Bar Association for their opinion, for their rating. Sometimes they would come back and 
tell the president, um, we're rating this person not qualified. You know how many times President Obama went on to nominate a judge or a person to the federal bench that the ABA had rated not qualified? You know how many times? Zero. Because if you're not qualified to serve as a federal judge, you probably shouldn't serve as a federal judge. And if you're the president, you sure shouldn't nominate that person to serve as a federal judge. President Obama understood that. And he refused to degrade the quality of the federal bench. And Trump and McConnell celebrated the degradation of the federal bench, up to and including the U.S. Supreme Court. You know, courtesy of some of Donald Trump's appointees to the Supreme Court, women had their constitutional privacy rights revoked. Minorities no longer had any hope of being on equal educational footing because affirmative action programs were killed. And of course now, you know, sort of state accepted discrimination against the LGBTQ plus community is just fine. You know, businesses can now discriminate with the full backing of a handful of justices on the Supreme Court, several of whom were appointed by Donald Trump. So, yeah, being qualified to serve on the federal bench in any capacity, trial court, appellate court, Supreme Court, kind of matters. But friends, here we are. Yes, every time we learn that another federal judge will be involved in some aspect of presiding over Trump-related litigation, we ask ourselves the question, what president appointed that judge? And of course, friends, what will Donald Trump claim if, when, the three-judge panel rules against him on the gag order issue? Oh, they're all angry Democrats appointed by Democrat presidents. It's a witch hunt. It's election interference. No fair. They had it in for me. This is where we are, friends. And, you know, we have to work hard every day to try to climb out of the very deep hole in which Donald Trump, Mitch McConnell, and others have put the American people. You know, we have to do what we can to try to Restore the integrity of the federal bench. Joe Biden has gone a long way. He has appointed lots and lots of qualified, well-qualified people to the federal bench. And, you know, we have our work cut out for us. But as I always say, friends, fighting for justice is both exhausting and energizing. And as you've probably heard me say before, justice matters. After the break, some of the evidence that will be introduced against Donald Trump in his Georgia RICO prosecution has been leaked to the press. Glenn talks about that next on Justice Matters. Hi, Beowulf here with Justice Matters, and I'm here to remind you about one of the best decisions I've made recently, getting Factor Meals. Eating is so much easier for me with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. 
you'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor is flexible for your schedule. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Sign up today and save. I've done the math and I can tell you Factor is less expensive than takeout. And every meal is dietitian approved, nutritious and delicious. So what are you waiting for? Get started today and start meeting your meal and nutrition goals. Head over to factormeals.com slash glen50 and use code glen50 to get 50% off. That's code glen50 at factormeals.com slash glen50 to get 50% off. Remember, go to factormeals.com slash glenn five zero and use code glen50 to get 50% off today. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. After flipping and pleading guilty in the Georgia Rico case, four cooperating witnesses provided videotaped statements to the prosecution. This was leaked to the press by a lawyer. Glenn says this testimony is really incriminating. So friends, you've probably seen some of the new reporting about four co-defendants in Donald Trump's Georgia State RICO case. These are Donald Trump's criminal associates, his co-conspirators. We already knew that they had pleaded guilty, flipped, and agreed to cooperate with prosecutors. They agreed to testify truthfully against Donald Trump and the other co-defendants. And as part of that guilty plea process, one of the things that these four co-defendants, now cooperating witnesses, did was they provided videotaped statements of the testimony they could give against Donald Trump and others. Well, now these videotaped statements were obtained by the press. And we've now seen them for ourselves. We'll talk in a few minutes about how it is that these videotapes made their way into the public square. But when you watch and you listen to some of the evidence that will be provided, that has been provided by people like Kenneth Chesbro and Sidney Powell and Jenna Ellis, it is really interesting and really incriminating. Let's start with the new reporting. This from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and the AJC, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, has been doing great coverage of, you know, all things Donald Trump down in Georgia. I will put a link to this article in the description for today's video. Headline, Key Takeaways, Highlights of the Fulton County DA Interviews with Trump Defendants. And that article begins, 
Before they pleaded guilty in Fulton County's wide-ranging election subversion case, four one-time Donald Trump allies recorded testimony with prosecutors. Video of those interviews were provided to attorneys to the remaining defendants in the case as part of pretrial discovery. Known as proffers, such testimony is a preview of what witnesses might testify at trial. Portions of the videos were obtained by the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and other media outlets this week. Here are the key takeaways from the videos. Jenna Ellis. Comments Ellis made about an interaction she had at a White House Christmas party could help speak to the plans of the former president and those of the people around him. On December 19, 2020, Ellis, then senior legal advisor for the Trump campaign, ran into senior Trump aide Dan Scavino, who thanked Ellis for her work. Quote, I said something to him like, well, I'm sorry that we haven't been able to do more. And I emphasized to him, I thought the claims and the ability to challenge the election results was essentially over because of the dismissal of the Texas versus Pennsylvania case from the United States Supreme Court, she told Fulton County prosecutors, according to video obtained by the AJC. Quote, and he, Dan Scavino, said to me in a kind of excited tone, well, we don't care and we're not going to leave. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, the boss, meaning President Trump, everyone understood the boss. That's what we all called him. He said, the boss is not going to leave under any circumstances. We, and friends, please put a pin in that pronoun, we are just going to stay in power. And I said to him, well, it doesn't quite work that way, you realize. And he, Dan Scavino, said, we don't care. We don't care that we lost. We are just going to stay in power. Friends, let's talk about Jenna Ellis's expected testimony against Donald Trump. But let's start with this Dan Scavino character, right? Because Jenna Ellis said, Dan Scavino told me that the boss, Donald Trump, said we're not leaving. We are just going to stay in power. We intend to stay in power, notwithstanding the fact that we lost the election. Who is this Dan Scavino character? Well, I know this will shock you, friends. Dan Scavino started out as Donald Trump's caddy. He was also an assistant manager for one of Donald Trump's golf courses. Donald Trump would go on to promote him to be manager. Dan Scavino was also a Coca-Cola sales department guy. He was a pharmaceutical company rep. And then with that resume, he ended up as White House Director of Social Media. He would go on to be the Deputy Chief of Staff for Communications. There was a USA Today article that talked about how 
He would even at times send out tweets from Donald Trump's account, some of the daytime tweets and some of the tweets without spelling mistakes. And Scavino's name may also be familiar to you because he was another one of the guys who criminally defied a congressional subpoena from the January 6th House Select Committee rather than have to testify about the crimes of Donald Trump. Scavino, Mark Meadows, Jim Jordan, none of whom have been held accountable for those crimes, all of whom committed contempt of Congress by defying congressional subpoenas. You may also recall Dan Scavino and Mark Meadows were specifically referred to the Department of Justice for prosecution for contempt of Congress and for reasons that nobody can adequately explain, neither Mark Meadows nor Dan Scavino were ever charged for crimes, the crimes they inarguably committed. Contempt of Congress, refusing to appear, refusing to testify about the crimes of Donald Trump, democracy-busting crimes, neither Scavino nor Meadows thus far has been held accountable for those crimes. So friends, let's talk about the import, the significance of Jenna Ellis's statement that Dan Scavino said, the boss said, we're not leaving. We're not relinquishing power, even though we lost the election. In fact, Dan Scavino said, we are not leaving. And we don't care that we're supposed to leave. So in order to talk about sort of the evidentiary importance of statements like that, we're going to have to do a quick team justice law school class on two legal concepts, hearsay and conspirator liability, co-conspirator liability, which in a nutshell provides that if you're in a conspiracy, you are guilty of, you are responsible for all of the crimes, of all of your fellow co-conspirators, whether you directly participated in those crimes or not. But let's start with hearsay. So when we see on video Jenna Ellis saying, Dan Scavino told me that Donald Trump told him that we're not leaving power even though we lost the election. We have to break those two layers of statements down. When Dan Scavino tells Jenna Ellis, we're not leaving power, that statement is admissible at trial against Dan Scavino. Why? Because any statement made by a defendant is admissible against that defendant at trial as what's called a statement by a party opponent. So if Dan Scavino was on trial, Jenna Ellis could come in and testify, Dan Scavino told me we were not going to leave power. However, when Dan Scavino says Donald Trump told him that they were not leaving power, that's hearsay, right? That would be Dan Scavino saying Donald Trump said we're not leaving power. So in the ordinary case, and then we're going to talk about a conspiracy, in the ordinary case, Jenna Ellis could not be asked, what did Dan Scavino say about what somebody else told him? 
what Donald Trump told him. Ordinarily, that would be hearsay. It could be used against Dan Scavino, but it couldn't be used against Donald Trump. However, this is the beauty of co-conspirator liability. We as a society decided a very long time ago that when people come together and agree to commit crime together, that's more dangerous than just one person deciding to commit a crime individually. So when it comes to conspiracy charges, the law has evolved such that every co-conspirator is responsible for, can be indicted for and convicted of, every crime committed by every other co-conspirator if you're in this criminal agreement. You're assuming the risk that when your co-conspirators go out and commit crimes that are part of and in furtherance of the conspiracy, everybody is on the hook, right? That's supposed to address the enhanced danger posed by a bunch of people getting together and agreeing to do crime. There is another evidentiary fringe benefit. Stick with me here. I know this is down in the criminal law weeds. The evidentiary benefit is the admissibility of co-conspirator statements. So ordinarily, whereas Jenna Ellis couldn't be asked, what did Dan Scavino tell you about what other people said? Because that would be hearsay. Guess what? The hearsay rules basically yield when it's a charged conspiracy. What does that mean? Any of the statements made by any of the co-conspirators that were made during the course of and in furtherance of the conspiracy are admissible against all the co-conspirators. So basically this is an exception to the hearsay rule. And now you bet Jenna Ellis could testify, Dan Scavino told me that Donald Trump said we ain't leaving power. We don't care if we lost, we're not leaving. And that would be admissible against not only Dan Scavino, but against Donald Trump and anybody else who was a member of the conspiracy at that time. That is the beauty of co-conspirator liability. It's pretty expansive and it gives prosecutors some exceptions to the hearsay rule. So it is really important testimony from Jenna Ellis that Dan Scavino and Donald Trump said, we ain't leaving. Let me go back to that pronoun. Remember I said, please put a pin in that pronoun, we. The fact that Dan Scavino said, we ain't leaving, and we don't care that we're supposed to, what does that provide? Evidence that Dan Scavino was part of Donald Trump's conspiracy to unlawfully, unconstitutionally, and contrary to the expressed will of the American voters, they were going to retain power. They aspired to be dictators, to be involved in dictatorial rule. And that pronoun, we, is really important and really incriminating against Dan Scavino. You know, it's an important piece of evidence that tends to show Dan Scavino had joined Donald Trump's conspiracy to unlawfully retain power. So friends, I know at this moment, Dan Scavino is not indicted anywhere yet, but based on that little bit of information we saw in Jenna Ellis's proffer to District Attorney Willis down in Georgia, 
it sure looks like Dan Scavino should find his name as a marquee defendant on the wrong side of the V sometime soon, whether it's Georgia, state of Georgia, V versus Dan Scavino, whether it's the United States of America, V versus Dan Scavino and the prosecution in Washington, D.C., we'll have to wait and see. But it sure looks like Donald Trump's former caddy, Dan Scavino, has bought himself a world of trouble. And it's time to hold him accountable, together with all of Trump's other criminal associates, co-conspirators. Because justice matters. Friends, thank you for bearing with me through that Team Justice Law School class. As always, please stay safe, please stay tuned, and I look forward to talking with you all again soon. For more on Glenn, go to Glenn Kirshner 2 on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. This is Justice Matters.